Good morning, Genesis. I want to call us to worship this morning with a reading from Psalm 95. If you want to just stand for the reading of the word. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For it is the Lord, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So, O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. In the church calendar, this is Christ the King Sunday, and I love that the lectionary readings are all about Christ and God being our shepherd. And I love that struggle and tension between the king is the shepherd. So let's worship together this morning. Oh 
failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting for God so loved the world. To me, that is the essence of a king. Our other scripture reading this morning is from Ezekiel. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. my shepherd is whose goodness faileth never I nothing lack if I am his and he is mine forever and he is mine forever where streams of living water flow my ransomed soul he
So through all the length of days, thy goodness faileth never. Good shepherd, may I sing your praise within your house forever. Within your house forever. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. This is a moment where we take time to share where we've been seeing God active in our lives. With Thanksgiving this week, you might have had some extra time to reflect on your gratitudes. If not, this is probably a good time for you to do that. I'll tell you what mine were. Um, the first one was that we had a successful move for our oldest daughter to GVSU. And my gratitude was that I survived that. I wasn't sure how I was gonna do. I think my back went out for a week and a half and then my emotions followed. So um, grateful to have survived that. Uh, grateful for uh, having nine months clear um, from my cancer diagnosis. So that's been a gift. And then I'm um, grateful that I'm not heavily invested um, in the Lions franchise. So I enjoy, I enjoy football, but I haven't picked any favorites. So Thanksgiving didn't hurt as much for me as for some of you probably. So I'm thankful for all of that. But um, honestly, most thankful um, that God doesn't give up on us and recognizing uh, each year that goes by I have so much more to learn about myself and how I got to this place and all of the workings inside and that God continues to reveal and to bring to my awareness uh, blind spots and things in me that are not like him. And then to be able to enter into that space with grace and love and support to be able to move forward. Um, honestly, for me, that's the gift um, that I'm reflecting on this year. So I thank God for that. As you were going through your week, did you see God at, at work in your life or around you? And would you like to share it with us? I'll walk over to you. Just put your hand up. All right, I see Deb. Good morning, I'm Deb McCormick and um, I saw um, the Lord working through this holiday with uh, family all together, and we all got along, which didn't always happen. And I'm grateful for the Lord for that. Now, a lot of prayer went into that, and he, uh, he never fails us. He was working all the whole time. Also, I'd like to uh, praise God for continued healing for my sister-in-law, 80-year-old um, sister-in-law that fell down our stairs and 30 days in hospital. And it's just remarkable. Um, it could only be the Lord's hand. We're very grateful. Amen. Who else? Who's next? I see you back there. I'll pop in the back. Thanks for making the trip. Good morning, everybody. If you haven't met me, I'm Bethany. 
And I was really glad that the song about God's blessings flowing came on this morning because that's been my word from God over the last week, week and a half is blessings. And me and Ryan have been trying to count our blessings and kind of like hold off the Christmas season just a little bit and, you know, be really grateful and thankful intentionally. So uh, my mom experienced a loss, a really big loss, and she was expecting a certain, you know, stuff that she had been promised to come out of this. And it meant a lot to her. And she was so excited. I'm like, that's great. That's wonderful. And then it sounded like the blessings were going to fall through. And that was a big grief on top of the grief she was experiencing. And I don't think I was speaking. I think it was the Holy Spirit, but it just came to me. You know, I promise God won't withhold blessings from you. If they're meant to be yours, he will place them with you in goodness, gladness, and wisdom. He loves you and your blessings will come. And that's just been sitting with me that God does not withhold blessings and he will share what is meant to be yours will be yours. I don't know if that's just for me or if there's anyone else today, but I sent her that and she thanked me. And then like within the hour, she found out that blessing that she was expecting was going to come through. So she just had to wait a minute. And for me, we had some apprehension about Thanksgiving, weren't sure about plans, people were gonna show up and all of our cousins were not gonna show up, we thought, and then, on Thanksgiving, it's like, okay, it'll be a smaller Thanksgiving. We're really going to miss them. And then all five of them with their spouses walk through the door, and I'm just like, yes. So that was really wonderful. And God, I think, likes to bless us. The Father likes to bless us with little things. I think that just gives them a little chuckle. So last week, I wasn't here because me and my friends, we were up at Frankenmuth, and I had already bought enough chocolate and probably enough food and enough souvenirs. I'm like, no, I'm not going to buy. But if you, if anyone has talked to me or Ryan for more than five minutes, you know we're obsessed with our cats. And you know that I have a little IBS food-driven cat. And they have these two tea towels. Half of my tea towels are already about our cats. But there's one that looks exactly like Lucy. And it's every bite you take, everything you cook, I'll be watching you. And I'm like... I'm like, but I'm not gonna pay $13 for a towel. I already have towels and I wrestle back and forth. And there's one that looks like Levi with another thing that exactly applied to him. I'm like, it's my cats on towels, but I already bought enough things. So I'm like, okay, I'll be grateful. I'll take a picture. I'll show it to Ryan. We will laugh. We get home that evening. My friend's like, oh, I've got your Christmas presents. And I, I just, not even, I thought she brought them from Indiana. I had no idea. And we opened the bag and there's my little Levi and my little Lucy towels. I forgot to bring them this morning, but it was just really meaningful. And that's just been sticking with me is like, I have missed God's blessings. I mean, just like food and running water and all those things, but I've been missing them. And I'm really excited to go into this holiday season knowing that, you know, God's blessings are for me and his heart is for me and he delights in his kids and loves to bless them. Even with silly little cat towels, he finds that worthwhile. So that's it. Anyone else? I see that hand on the right. Hello, my name is Molly. Um, kind of in line with Bethany talking about um, smaller blessings. I'm really prone to pretty bad tension headaches after big social events. Um, so I could feel one building 
you know, it's a haul to pack up seven people to travel and spend the night somewhere and get the pies and the food and stuff to keep the little guys occupied. And my eight-year-old is like, I have this shale, he has a big shale rock. He's like, we've got to pack that. We've got to pack that and the little special brick he uses to pound it with and some swim goggles for him and a cousin so little shale dust doesn't go in them. Like, okay, we just already have so much. So throw the rock in there, you know? And I could tell like, like I was just starting to get a headache on Thanksgiving. Um, and I texted Carmel actually, and she was kind of checking in with me and I was checking in with her. And I told her, I'm like, I'm really scared that tomorrow I'll just be like laid out with a headache. Um, and that night my son Toby just could not get back to sleep. He was up for four hours in the night, just wired. But I had, I, the headache went away and I haven't had a headache on Saturday or today which is really unusual and I'm really thankful for that. And I know he would love, he loves me if I had a headache, but I just am really thankful to be able to connect with family without kind of pushing through that. Um, yeah, and thankful for Carmel for praying for me. Awesome. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, so this Thanksgiving, usually Thanksgiving, Christmas, in my house, they're kind of rough because we don't really have a lot of family, so it's really just my immediate family. So it's always in, like, there's a lot of tension with my other family. So it's sometimes always a little sad, you know, seeing everybody get together, having these big family gatherings, are so happy, and just being like, oh, yep, it's me and my mom and dad and my brothers, and it's just just us. And um, so this year, it was just supposed to be my parents and my one brother. And my other brother um, and his wife had a baby on Monday, which is so exciting. And that was my birthday. So we're birthday buddies, which is so exciting. And so I feel like they and my brother and his wife and the baby ended up coming to Thanksgiving. So that was a big surprise. And that was really fun. And I feel like I was just so grateful for the fact that like, okay, our family is now turning around. Like we're at the point where, yeah, we don't really have like extended family to celebrate with and things like that, but like our family is growing, you know, and so like I get to look forward to those gatherings that I haven't, you know, really been able to be a part of for the past several years. So that's just something that I'm super, super grateful for, that our family's growing in a healthy way. Um, and yeah, we get to look forward to those exciting gatherings. And she's so cute. Her name's Florence, and she's amazing and adorable. And yeah. Should I stand up? Yeah. Okay. So, I guess I saw God for mm, one of the first times yesterday. This is the second time I'd say I've walked into a church with intention. Every other time I've walked in, yes, but with an empty mind, closed hands, no open heart. Yesterday I walked in here because temporarily I was homeless. And I walked in searching for guidance, for wisdom. I understand the Bible to be extremely wise. 
um, I sat down with you, and she shared her guidance. I, like I usually do still, didn't take it <laughs> at that moment. Later on, I sat down and I ate Thanksgiving dinner. They were handing out food yesterday. I sat down with people I assume were struggling even more than I was. I understood the one woman I was talking to to be homeless and she seemed to be very lost, but at that moment she seemed to have been, she seemed to have been grounded, eating a warm meal and I found God in the little girls that were coming around, as generous as they were, asking us to ask for seconds and thirds and fourths. I don't know how much I ate. But um, I found God in that generosity and in that openness and all the other qualities that I haven't yet placed. So, yeah. Morning. So, uh, for this tale of my witness, three foundational facts. First, like you, um, I don't have a family anymore. Uh, I've been divorced for about five years, and um, my, I do have a family. I, I just don't have a large family anymore. My mother lives here um, and lived with her, my sister-in-law's mother, who died a week ago Friday. So our Thanksgiving was going to be just three of us, my sister-in-law, because my brother died last year, my mother and I. So that's foundational fact number one. Number two... I'm going on a retreat with 30 of the high school seniors next week, and I'm scheduled to give a talk, kind of the, one of the culminating talks on obstacles to accepting God's friendship and the call he has for us. And this is, this is the, the talk that all the adults think is the hardest talk of all. I'm like, boy, this is easy for me. But um, so the third foundational fact is um, I actually got invited as oh, that guy who doesn't have a family to somebody else's house. And, um, but because I knew it would just be the three of us, I wasn't gonna say to my mother and my sister-in-law, well, I got invited to a bigger party. Um, <laughs> and, and I seriously wanted to be with my, my mother and my sister-in-law. Um, so I'm sure I, many of you heard the story. I, I, met a woman that I have found, formed a business relationship with and also a very strong Christian relationship with. And um, she told me that, she told me last week, probably on Wednesday, that her 15-year-old son had said to her, hey, what's happening with Mr. Ed? You know, where's he gonna go for Thanksgiving? And shouldn't we invite him? Shouldn't we do something with him? Well, I hope I don't start crying, but um, they came down on Saturday, Friday. And, um, they brought food and we shared a meal and 
I got to ask this 15-year-old, tell me, what do you think the obstacles are to you of, um, you know, accepting God's will? And he talked a lot about a lot of things that I would have never thought about. So to me, you know, God was here this whole time, present, keeping an eye on me, opening my heart. Um, before I got divorced, and I got divorced because I didn't pay attention to the Lord's call to me, um, didn't have any kids, so that's one of the reasons I'm by myself now. Um, but afterwards, he just didn't stop with me. He did not stop, and he led me here. And I don't just mean to, to Genesis, but to the Detroit area. I was living up north on Glen Lake, and you know things were pretty good. And he said, no, I want you back down at, at U of D Jesuit, where I graduated from. I, I need you there. And my heart immediately opened up. You know, I believed in my head, and at that moment, I began to believe in my heart. So being here, I, you know, I just can't help but see his hand all the time, and that's why I stand up here so often. But he was here for me this weekend, and he'll be here with me next week as I talk about obstacles. So thank you for your time. Well, I'd like to invite, if you would stand, um, I think that there's a, if you're able to stand with us, please do. If you're at home and you don't want or aren't able to, that's fine. If you're here and not able to, um, that's fine. I'd like for the posture of our heart to be reflected in the room. And so if you could just place your hands out like you're receiving a gift from God. And as Heather leads us into this next song, um, there may be an exchange that needs to happen where your hands are already full and so you're not in a position to be able to receive from God what God has for you. Or it may be that your hands seem to you um, to be empty and perhaps God wants to show you um, what you already have but also in this moment, it could be that God wants to meet you in need that you're very aware of. Or that God wants to meet you in need that you're not aware of at all. And so Spirit of God, we invite you in this space to do the work that only you can do. the work that meets us and heals us and fills us and changes us and transforms us. And you've heard all of this witness about what you've been doing. And so we pause now and we say thank you. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for being present. And thank you for meeting our needs. You're a good loving, faithful God. And we ask for more of you, more of you in this moment, in this space. Let your loving kindness flow like a river and meet us exactly where we are. Let it wash over us. Cover us this morning in your love. And we thank you. In Jesus' name.
Good morning, church. Welcome. Thank you for being here. My name is Hannah Ng Shoko, um, and I'm here to bring you your announcements. <laughs> um, okay, so please take a moment to let us know that you are here by filling out either the digital connection card on our website or the physical green card in the pew. 
where the green cards live on the pew, there's also a QR code. So if you'd like to fill it out online, take out your phone, stamp a, or like hold your camera up to it and it'll take you right to the green card. Um, we endeavor to change the world through creating spaces of belonging, through helping individuals identify and develop their calling and through taking action for the good of others. So um, we are going to be celebrating our volunteers. Um, if you're a volunteer in our community, we wanna celebrate you. So join us on Sunday, December 10th at 8.30 for an all team breakfast. Um, yeah, we're really excited. We love the people that serve with us. And so come join us to eat some food before we do the thing again. Um, we are coming up on Advent season. So the Advent calendar, usually like every year we'll get the little thing with the calendar invite and you can like load it up into your phone calendars. That's going to be coming soon. But there's also the devotionals that we're getting ready to do. So um, if you like paper, we have some printed out they might still be in the church office so find my wife taylor and she'll get you one um if you do not like paper or you lose them they just end up in places like me um there will be a link in the e-blast the last e-blast also the next one just look in the e-blast and you'll find a link she knows more things i'm just the one that talks um i'm just i'm just here to say the things uh and then the next one so we eat together for the first sunday of every month um plan to stay and eat together next sunday following the service this is probably my favorite theme we've ever had so get ready this is what's written on the paper our theme is bring whatever the heck you want, or bring that whatever the heck you have, December is already hard enough. So just, you know, bring the things, bring whatever foods you have, um, and we'll just like make it work together. But um, now if you wanna take a moment, stand up, go say hi to people, connect, love them well, thank you.
Good. Good morning. I think it's on. Welcome. I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I think we're on. There we have it. It's quiet. There's a lot of chatter, but it also feels very quiet. So I was taken back there. Welcome to Genesis. My name is Bo, one of the pastors. Glad you're here. We're going to be taking communion today. We take communion each week as a practice. One, reminding the practice of family, the, mind, the remembrance of invitation. But also today, as we talk about disability and ableism, we think that the beautiful tie-in for us of being reminded, they're being invited to the table to eat, a part of God's family, not in order to be fixed, uh, but to be loved and embraced. So with that in mind, we're glad that you are here um, today as we talk about disability and, and ableism. I am I'm swimming out of my element, meaning that this is, a, this is a, a deep learning conversation for myself personally. Today, we're, I really want to talk to the church. If you're disabled, you have a disability, um, really want to speak to the other 75%, if not a little bit less than that, who would say we're able-bodied and we don't have a disability, and to be able to teach us about our appropriate response to these image bearers of Jesus, um, for us to have the learning. And so if you are disabled, if that's an identity that you have taken on or live, we pray that today would be fresh, um, that you would hear what you have known from the beginning, of your infinite value, worth, ability, um, knowing that you're created in the image of God, loved by God, that you display the magnitude and the worth of God in this world, but the majority of people, like myself, um, are blind and not able to see. And so with that, we pray that each of us would hear from God in a new way, and learn and grow. The hope is not to shame or to shun any of us, but to know that as we're learners, uh, there's not a spot of a destination, but as learners, there's always a departure. Meaning, at one time, you might say, I'm departing from something I used to think, or a thought that I had without even thinking, a bias, without even knowing departing from certain ideas that are less than true, less than beautiful, and less than good. And so that's not shame, that's learning, that's growing. And so the prayer and the hope is that many of us would be able to identify and name departures. So in this whole series about being all-inclusive, for all these topics in this conversation, there's a ton of departures. Meaning, I used to think this way. I was taught this, or this was reinforced, and I've departed from that. I haven't arrived, but here's where, here's where I am. Not, not a journey per se, but, but a learning and a place. And so today, may we open ourselves to learning and to the Holy Spirit. Uh, oh, oh, the other caveat, Carmel has been shaping all of these with me, which has been invaluable for me. This is really a, a message she should be teaching uh, today, and she has been teaching it, and she continues to teach this. And I know that at some time she will be teaching this again. But my learning from her has been, has been invaluable. I know that I want to make her proud in the truthful 
um, display, not of also information, but of posture and learning and towards the pocket of this church, who you would say, for the most part, you're able-bodied. And so with that in mind, let's step in uh, today to this, this conversation that really is not a conversation, be very one-sided from me to you. <laughs> but if you would like to have a conversation with of it, jump into a group, because that's where the learning and the conversation takes place. So Father, God, creator of all, you're a good teacher. And you're gentle and you're humble. Open our eyes to your revelation. Open our eyes to the beauty of your revelation. Help us to see what at one time we thought was your revelation that was ugly. We weren't able to see it clearly because of our fears, insecurities, or who knows what. As we prayed even earlier, and as Nate did, and, and Ed was kind of talking about, and other people who shared, may our hearts and hands be open. Our bodies are open to you, our minds and our emotions are open to you and to each other. Amen. Um, I, a number of years ago, Carmel and I and some others went to this like training event, and the theme was naturally supernatural, meaning like you're going to engage in the things that Jesus did. And a lot of times, the naturally supernatural, at least the most common ones, is like praying for healing for people. And at this thing, they were like, they were coaching and they're training you just about to be kind of really simple and not weird and not hurt people. But I'm typically a bit weird and really slow. But at, in the middle of the training, they send you off. And they're like, we want you to go into public places and just look for people to pray for and pray for healing for them. So Carmel and I went into a mall and we're kind of walking around and i'm like uh, i'm like I, I went to one of those massage chairs where you put like dollar in and i'm getting a massage and all of a sudden i see somebody i'm like oh hey um can i pray for you you know in my massage chair if that's not weird like let me know right like the guy's getting a massage and wants to pray but that's not the story but so we're, we're doing this and all of a sudden we see this little boy maybe seven years old and he's blind it's pretty obvious when you see a seeing impaired boy, completely blind. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what they told us to do. Look for people for healing and, uh, and, and to come up to them and, and, and to pray for them. And they were like, oh my gosh, you know, so we step up, he's with this mom and we approach the mom and say, could we, you know, could we pray for, for him? And, you know, we'd like to pray for him to be able to see and, and all this. So we, we do that and, and we, uh, I, I say the prayer and you know, nothing happens. And we go back and report, and that, that was the kind of thing. When Carmel and I were debriefed in, in that moment, but even to this moment, both of us still remember, this was 12 years ago, both of us still remember that moment. Not as like a, oh my gosh, do you remember how awesome we were when we saw that little blind boy and we prayed for him to see? <laughs> she remembers the moment of seeing him and thinking, oh my gosh, he's beautiful. He just radiates beauty. But yet we are instructed to give, you know, to, to do something, right? To pray for, he, to, to fix, right? Like to fix the things we see. And so the first thing all of a sudden, what I see of this little boy is not his beauty, but his blindness. And of that which needs to be fixed. But 
in reality, what Carmel was seeing was his beauty. Nothing needed to be fixed. But yet just to be spoken to and for us both to be able to, what really might need have been the, the need to be fixed was really the way that I was seeing him. So today when we talk about disability and, and ableism, for most of us, when it comes to these, this idea of things in the world or disabilities, we already have this mindset and these ideas that that's bad and able-bodied is good. And if you have a disability, it needs to be fixed. That that is the immediate thing. That this is what, and if you're disabled, this is what you need. This is the most. And how, how interesting, when Jesus was praying for healing for people, even when, if they had a limitation of sight, he asked the questions like, hey, what would you, what would you like me to pray for? It was never the immediate, like, oh, here's, what, here's the thing that will actually make you whole. So if you're like me, maybe we have some learning to do. So this journey, um, the book, one of the major books that Carmel has recommended and that we read is by Dr. Amy Kinney. She's also a disabled person. She wrote a book called My Body is Not a Prayer Request. Um, she's a theologian, and she's a follower of Jesus. Very, very interesting. And she goes, oh, gosh, if there's any place in the world that should be displaying a, um, a learning of that all of us are image bearers and we display the beauty of God, if there's any place where um, in full inclusion and, and where ableism doesn't live, it should be the church. But yet, she says the church is one of the ones who continue to live some of the most harmful theology and ideas towards disabled people. So um, as you hear today, if you're like, I need to learn more, I want to learn more, I want to help others learn more, uh, I got five copies for anyone who wants one. And so that's Dr. Amy Kinney. When Dr. Kinney talks about language and about language being important, she adds this in her preface, so I'm going to use the same. So today, the, the question is like, when you have language, do you use people first language or identity first language? People first is a person with a disability, or, uh, or identity first is a disabled person as the language you talk about people. So you would say, oh, I know a disabled person. And so that's identity first. So some, some think that that's not good, but she, she says, ah, oh, in her book, she uses this language for this reason to shun the shame because a disability is not bad. And so that's not a bad thing as far as having a disability. So I will be using identity first, meaning that I'll be using the language of disabled persons knowing that there is a number of thought and you can feel free to use that language, but that's a reason for a part of that language. Nasha, one of our elders, continues to push and she teaches, and when she teaches, it's always um, definitions. And so let me give you some definitions just for the sake of learning. So a disability, a person with a disability is someone who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activity. Now, there is a diversity in disability, a massive diversity. And some are visible and others are invisible, uh, something a person is born with or acquired at any point. There's so many types of disability. 
beyond mobility disabilities that are able to see and identify. So when we talk about disability, we must remember this includes, but it's not limited to mental health disabilities, chronic illnesses, intellectual disabilities, hearing and vision disabilities. Also, when we talk about disability, there's different models of disability, different ways of thinking about dis disability. There's a medical model and there's a social model. There's also a functional model. The medical model really speaks that from the, the idea of medicine. And it looks at things, it assumes that an individual's disability is a problem in need of fixing. That's the medical model of disability. This needs to be fixed. We're the medical people. We come in with solutions in order to fix, to cure, to eradicate, rather than recognizing it as a facet of identity. The medical approaches tend to ignore the reality that many disabilities are chronic and cannot be fixed and that many disabled people do not want to cure. By contrast, there's a social model of disability that considers the problem to be society and the barriers, whether physical or attitudinal, it places in front of people with disabilities. It's these barriers, not the person that must change. So there's two different models. I've got like a minute and a half video just to kind of go into that again the social and the medical. I think this is important. Now, if you're in the medical field and you're, and you're helping people with some of these realities, that is beautiful, that is good, that is not bad, that is not, that is not a bad thing. I know uh, there's a few people in here who do work with prosthetics and things like that. That is good, that is beautiful, that is helpful. Um, but when it comes to the social aspect of it and disabilities, it's a different way of approaching. It was people with disabilities who came in there and said, we're experiencing exclusion and discrimination because everyone who sees us just thinks we need to be fixed. Instead of looking at society as a whole and saying, the issue is not with us, the issue is with society. And they've created a world without people with disabilities in mind. They have actually created exclusion by the access to their buildings or with their attitudes that actually exclude people with disabilities. So socially, we can actually make the world way more inclusive and actually heal the exclusion that's happening with people with disabilities if we'd be proactive and see and engage. So I think this video will work. If it doesn't, we're going to skip it and go from here. This is a minute and a half video. No, 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 no. This is not the video. This is me echoing here in the room. Never mind. If you want to learn about the difference between medical and social, go on YouTube and type in medical and social disabilities, and you will find videos out there. You know what? You can learn some things. How interesting. And encourage difference and variance in human. I don't want to fit in. I want society to change and accommodate and encourage difference and variance in human existence. I think it's pretty awesome for a lot of people when they learn about the social model of disability because um, up until then, I think it's quite normal for people to be socialized into the medical model, which is the idea that there's something wrong with your body and you're the one that needs to be fixed and it's your responsibility to try and like fit in with society. But when you realize that 
it's actually society that's done the wrong and it's society that has the responsibility to change it's like it takes a weight off your shoulders and you're like oh there's not actually anything wrong with me and it's not up to me to make all the changes it's actually up to society and those in power to include me and include my body we can build towards alternative visions uh, if we become more aware become more conscious of the kind of levels of of exclusion and intolerance that are experienced and that we have a, a level of enthusiasm when it comes to saying we don't want to continue with the way things are. So one of those interesting words to say that we've been socialized into living into the medical model. The medical model is beautiful. These glasses are a function of the medical model for me. I, if I don't have them on, I cannot read. But if I had them on, I can read. But we're, we're not meant to be socialized into the medical model. So there's a social model to where we can actually help remove the barriers and exclusion for people to be able to fully participate in life. We'll ask questions here in a minute. Or maybe at the end you can come and grab me and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. The key is to recognize that disability itself is not a problem. It's a natural part of the human experience. But many of us have been discipled into ableism, meaning that we only see bodies as a lack or in the need of a fix. And so Dr. Kinney says this, that we need to be freed from this notion that disability limits our abilities to showcase God's radiance somehow that we are not showcasing God's radiance with our disabilities. Ableism, here's the definition. The belief that disabled people are less valuable or less human than our non-disabled counterparts. So this is a big issue that many of us have been discipled into, that all of a sudden we believe that people need to be fixed and that they're inherently less valuable, less human than non-disabled counterparts. And when this has happened, this ableism, there's things as far as inaccessibility and attitudes and physical barriers that begin to exclude people. This is the problem with ableism. And this is the problem with some of our theology. Theology, when we look even at our own community here, and like most churches in the United States, when we think about access into our building, so the social model would look and do an assessment of our building, and they would say, how about your parking lot, your bathrooms, your stage? And so if you look at the accessibility, if you're just even the stage, this is not accessible. Someone with a wheelchair would not be able to step onto the platform, meaning there's a message there that they would not be able to come up in here in order to teach us, in order to share with us, in order to step into, they would be limited from this. Another thing is our bathroom doors, if you look at them, they're hard to get into. You have to, you have to push them open. They're less than accessible for someone with a disability. And we look at those things immediately and say, wow, those are some things that we can switch that are issues in our community that make this building inaccessible. And I'm sure we have a number of others that are just like that, that we're not aware of and weren't able to see. When we opened up to the community, we said, hey, are there areas of discrimination or, or are there any issues that you've been seeing in our community? And, and a, a number of people said, I have issues with hearing and I can't hear. 
I catch about 50% of what you're saying. Usually that's pretty good and that's all you need to hear anyways. <laughs> but no, they're, they're here to engage and they wanna worship and they wanna be a part. We have two hearing assisted devices, but we only have two. The reality is if you look at the statistics about 25% in the United States have a disability. And so if the majority of people experience life thinking that people with disability need to be fixed and they're less than human, a quarter of the people in our country are already looked down upon. And the first thing that is seen is there's something wrong with you. And, um, and you know what? And we have the answer. You just need to be more like us, able-bodied people who can produce more, do more, and achieve more. If you want to look at a really biting definition of, of, of ableism, I believe her name is um, Lucia Clark or uh, Tatalia Lewis. Tatalia Lewis has a definition of ableism and she, she updates it every year and um, it's pointed. And it speaks more to, it's even broader than uh, disability language, but it's just saying that we have a view of looking at people for what they will produce. It's worth looking at. So we want to look at this today, this issue that we have, these issues that we have um, in society, and there's certain accessibility things that we can address. But what about our attitudes? What about our thinking? And I just want to spend a few minutes looking at that today in the life of Jesus. And the social model says that we can go after attitudes, our biases, but these are harder to overcome than looking at the accessibility of our building. That only takes money in engineering. But our ideas and our attitudes, those, those, don't, those are much more difficult to shift. We sent out a, um, a Harvard um, implicit bias test. You can take this online. You can check it out just to see what's your bias towards um, people with disabilities, to be able to see if you have one. The majority of people have a bias, meaning that they view able-bodied people, they prefer able-bodied people, and, they, and it's more uncomfortable to communicate and engage with people with disabilities. This is the Harvard Implicit Association Test for Disability. It's worth taking just to see for yourself. But when you look at the life of Jesus, and Jesus, he actually talked quite a bit about disability. Jesus, in one of his teachings in Mark 9, actually used disabilities as something um, that was preferred. He said, if your hand causes you to sin or your foot causes you to sin, you should cut it off. It's better for you to lame, better for you to be lame than enter into hell with both feet. If your eye causes you to stumble, you should gouge it out. It'd be better for you to be blind than for you to perish. He's, he's, it is hyperbole. He's not encouraging that, but he's saying there's something beautiful and there's even something good about those. In our, that are, we call them disabled persons, that Jesus is able to see the disabled bodies as a mark of holy living, an antidote to sin. That was the description of this. And a way to reveal God to the surrounding community. Most of us, myself, very much included, because this is something that I have not seen, nor do I look for. When I think about disability in the Bible, I would think, oh, no, it just Jesus wants to fix it all. He wants to fix it. And I miss 
The passage of scripture where disability is celebrated as a blessing or a prophetic witness. So throughout scripture, disabled people are at the forefront of the work of God. We have Isaac who becomes blind and Jacob who walks with a limp and Leah whose eyes are weak and Moses who has a speech disorder and Elijah who feels depressed and suicidal and Timothy who has stomach issues and frequent ailments and Jonathan's son, Meshabotheleth, Meshabotheleth, who David welcomed into his home. Jesus talks about disability as being a teacher and a way to reveal God to non-disabled people. So here we have, I want, to use, I want to go into one story. This is in John 9. We're going to finish with this John 9 passage and just a couple of action steps for people who like want to learn and some ways that we can engage in the world, that we can see people differently, just not as people who need to be fixed as a prayer request. There is nothing wrong praying with people. If you know them, they're inviting you in, and they're hurting, and they invite you, pray for them, pray for them. The challenge is not just immediately seeing someone and saying, you know what? I know exactly what they need. You need to be fixed. Nothing wrong to pray. But here's John 9. John 9, Jesus and disciples are walking along. The disciples see a man born blind, and they ask the question, who sinned here? This man or his parents? This is conflating sin and disability together, sin and blindness together, meaning the two become one. So if you've got a disability, that and sin are together. This is an idea. Disability, bad. Able-bodied, good. You know, those kinds of things. They're combining these things together, and they're asking that question. In John 9, so they ask them the question, who sinned? In John, in verse 3, Jesus says this, neither this man nor his parents. Nobody sinned. You're combining two things that don't belong together. This is not right. This is not good. This is not true. Then he says this, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We need a pause right there. So many of us, we're taught how to read the Bible. Different things are brought to us, and we've heard it, and we say, oh, I know how the story goes. Why was he born blind? So then Jesus could step in, fix the problem of his blindness, and then display the works of God in the blind person. That's not what Jesus is fully saying there. He's not saying that, okay, well, no, he's born blind, so I could step up into this moment and fix him. Now, I've read this passage, and I would say that's how I read the passage. But yet, the story goes on for like 30 chapters, or sorry, 30 verses right after this. But so it's, it's, not, it's not about this. Jesus is saying he, he was born blind. He displays the works of God in himself right now as blind. He's going to display the works of God in his seeing as well. But he displays. I think we cannot miss this. Why was he born blind? In verse 3. This has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that is just in the way he is at this moment. He displays the works of God. We have to see this. If not, we're living in ableism that says this blind man does not display the works of God. He absolutely displays the works of God. And Jesus is going to show that he's he's pointing to this in the end when he tells everybody else, no, no. You're able-bodied, 
but you're blind. You don't see. You're not seeing correctly. You're far off. We pause here. His blindness displays God. Variation displays God. This is a subversive statement. Disability helps reveal the light of the work to people who think of themselves as holier than disabled people. Disability is no longer a symbol of sin, but one of being open to revelation. So when we think about people with disability, um, their, their light revealing the works of God, I, do you know the term inspiration porn? So inspiration porn is when we say, it's like when you would talk to a person who's disabled, and you say, well, how do they inspire you? And you would say, oh, they're so brave. Oh, look at them. Look how hard they're trying. They just keep going. They just keep doing it. That's inspiration porn because it's patronizing. It points to them and it says, yeah, you're inferior, but you, you teach us something through your, through your struggle in life. That's called inspiration porn. I think that was, that was noted in like 2014 or 10 because it was kind of saying, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about learning from people with disabilities. It's meaning, no, we're not just learning about how brave they are or the struggles that they face by, by fighting all the injustices or navigating in a wheelchair in this world or all of this, but them truly teaching us through their living and their being and their thinking and their mindsets and their love, them emanating in their person and in their being the character of God, showing the beauty of creation and the variation of this world. They display the works of God. Disability acts as a method for revealing living God to the community and not something that always needs to be prayed away to showcase God's power. And so in this story, here's the blind man. They ask, does he sin? He says, no, but God's work is displayed in him. Now Jesus heals him. Or let me take this back. Jesus cures him. There's this language of some people who are in the disability community who are showing a distinction between curing and healing. A cure is the fix, but healing is deeper. It's holistic. It, 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 it's much more nuanced and rich. And so in this story, when he receives his, his sight, does his world get better? For those of you who know the story, his world actually gets worse. So this man receives sight. Jesus heals them, tells him to go wash. He goes and washes, and all of a sudden, his whole community, the neighborhood, the religious leaders begin to turn on him. Like, who healed you? How did you heal? How'd you get healed? It's a Sabbath. You're doing work. Wait a minute, aren't you this person's son? And he's like, no, yeah, I'm this person's son. Here's why I was healed. This man named Jesus, he told me to wash. And they begin questioning him. Well, who is this Jesus? Why has he done this? What did he tell you to do? And he continues to speak to them. And immediately this man is finally put out. He's excluded. He is pushed out. His world is actually just the same, if not more worse off, as he's fully excluded from his community. The story in John 9, it amplifies the way that he's ostracized by people who think they understand Scripture better than him. And the story of John 9 is not about the miracle after the physical cure, but it focuses on how the neighbors retort and report the blind man. 
The story of John 9 is he is cured, but it shows how ableism is living and to look down upon this man as being less than because of his blindness. And even after he is cured of his blindness, he's still considered less than. And cannot teach, cannot instruct, cannot share his experience. He's less than. The difference between curing and healing. The man is cured. He, he regains his eyesight. Another example between curing and healing would be um, someone who's experienced um, gun violence and you're shot. So the wound is addressed, it's sewn up, the bolt's taken out probably first, and then antibiotics are put in there if there's an infection because the shrapnel, all that, that's curing. But healing is a nonlinear process. And if you've been shot by a gun, there's trauma, and there's trauma from the wound, there's trauma from the experience, and that healing is much slower. It's much more long-term. It can pop up here and there. Healing is more holistic. Curing is maybe fixing just the physical. That healing is much larger. In the social construct of disability, that's where we address the social issues that are excluding people. In the social model of disability, curing is often unnecessary because the social structures disabling people are healed because people have access into those relationships. So here's Jesus again. This man gets excluded. Jesus cures him. The man gets ostracized. He gets kicked out of the synagogue, or he was already excluded from worshiping in the temple for being blind. And that holds even afterward. And it says that uh, this is the people talking to him. The man begins to teach them about Jesus. He tries to instruct them about his experience with Jesus. This is their response to this blind man. And they said, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So curing his blindness doesn't change the social aspects of his disability. Exclusion from worship outside the temple or inside the temple, inaccurate perceptions of his sin, and segregation from the broader community. The neighbors still think he was born entirely in sins. Rachel Held, Held Evans, when she writes about the difference between curing and healing, she says this, there's a difference between curing and healing, and we're called to enter into one another's pain, anoint the sick, and stick around, no matter the outcome, even when it makes us uncomfortable. So Jesus shows up when he finds out this man has been excluded. He heard that he, they had thrown him out. And this is verse 35. He heard that they had thrown him out, and he goes searching for him. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man says, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me that I might believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is where the feeling, the, the physical, this is where the healing begins to take place, not just a cure. There is a physical cure at the beginning of, of John 9, but healing begins in verse 38, where he says, Lord, I believe. As Jesus reveals himself to him, this is the moment that he's restored through a conversation with the living God and is finally able to reach the place of worship he's been excluded from. This is what Dr. Amy 
Kenny says. Jesus is always tearing down the boundaries we put up. And here Jesus reveals the unnecessary barriers of kingdom exclusion. Everyone is welcome to the table. As Jesus continues his teaching, now he's, he's embraced this man fully. Now he begins to speak to everyone. This is like the culmination of this moment. And he's going to use disability as the teaching moment. And he says this, For judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were there heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. According to Jesus, those who think of themselves as able-bodied may be in more need of healing than those who are disabled. Isn't that the case with the majority of us in the way we see people? In need of great healing. When we think about this today, we want to do our part to continue to address the social models and to include and to have the distortions of disability that would limit people in our eyes and see them as less than image bearers of our God and as people who just need to be fixed. Dr. Kinney talks about four different kinds of responses to this, and she says this, one, we can ensure that buildings are accessible. Two, we can repent of the ways the church perpetuates the sin of excluding disabled people. It's from our lives, from our homes. Three, we can wonder, we can be curious. We can wonder how disabled bodies display the image of God to our community. And the fourth, we can yearn for holistic healing. Which one sticks out to you? Which one can you step into with enthusiasm to move us toward as we long to be a people who depart from harmful ideas of ableism, but love to embrace the sort of kingdom ethics of full inclusion and the wide variety of people who are among us, everybody every physical body and mind different, but displaying the glory of God and the works of God in each of us, not all needing to be fixed in order to radiate God's glory. May you know that the glory of God can be radiated in every part of you, even the parts of society has told you that need to be fixed. May you sense God declare his delight and love and goodness over every part of you. Let's pray. So Father, for the deep healing that needs to take place in the majority of us, the deep healing needs to take place in our minds and the way that we see people and our attitudes, oh Lord, have mercy. May we understand the places that we need to depart from. May we step into that learning that you are inviting us into. May we not be afraid. May all the things that make us uncertain or uncomfortable with our own frailty and the frailty of this world not hinder us from coming to you. 
or embracing others that are different than us. May we be able to see people as you do. May we understand their prophetic witness that they hold in all of their being and thinking. Amen. haven't had, if you don't have one yet, we want you to grab one of these communions, one of these little sample sizes, individual sampling. Andrew, would you mind passing this and I'll pass this one? Mm -hmm. And so Heather's going to play a song and Heather, we'll pass this through as you play the song and then as the song finishes, we will take communion together. This is open for everybody and I haven't forgotten that we're going to talk right after immediately. So here we go. We're going to pass these through. Andrew's got them. Be sure and take one. This is an open table. So as we move from Thanksgiving to Christmas, you know, don't want to rush it. This album was put out by a group called Sovereign Grace, and it's amazing. And um, the song seemed perfect. As we're in that time between Thanksgiving before Advent and also with what Bo was just speaking on. So if you know it or you learn it as I sing it, please sing along. Otherwise, my prayer is that this is a prayer over you. Oh, come, oh, you want faithful. Come, we can't
So as you have the element in front of you, Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he opened his table around them, and he took bread, and he broke it. He said, this is my body that is given for you. He invited them to eat and to do it in remembrance of Jesus. The beauty of the remembrance of Jesus is that when he returns, Jesus returns with his scars intact. In his resurrected body, he still had scars, and in the disabled community, they find great comfort Interesting acknowledgement in those scars still being present that mark them, but still having the wholeness of life. Jesus bears the scars, our bodies as well, but he proclaims us and he welcomes us to his table, not to fix everything that is broken, but as an invitation of his love and his kindness and inclusion into his family. So I'm broken for you. Eat. So God, thank you for your body broken for us. Let's eat. At the same time, Jesus took wine and he blessed it. And he said, there is no doubt. Well, this is my paraphrase. There's no doubt to the reality of the forgiveness of sins. And when I mean the forgiveness of sin, I don't mean just sort of some moralistic rules of what you got right, and what you got wrong. But when our lives go in the opposite direction of love, when we calls when we had maybe good intent but our lives went in the opposite way and hurt other people when we've run from god and run from each other he says i have the authority to forgive sins and jesus gladly does it he says drink this as a reminder of the overwhelming graciousness and kindness of god to declare us forgiven God, thank you for your blood that was broken, shed for us, and the reality of the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink. Thank you, God. We pray that we who would say we're blind to see people as you see them, we're blind to see ourselves as you see us, it's infinitely loved as people who display you in a world that continues to pick our bodies and minds and production apart, saying that we're less than, and you declare something else, 
we are blind, Lord, to the realities of how you see things. Praise you for those who see clearly your love and your goodness, and may we see as well and announce it to others. Amen. If you want to go today, I encourage you, you could grab some to-go communion. Is there someone that you would like just to give it to? Not as a way of saying that they need to be fixed, but just a way of declaring their goodness and beauty and invitation to the table of God. The people who know they've been welcomed there, they're a part of the family. They display God's goodness. They proclaim his coming. Take communion and share it with a friend of someone you know who might feel excluded from the community. If you want to grab this book, there's five copies. They are here for you, for anyone who would like to learn more and dig in. Chapter one is pretty much what I taught today. So there's 10 more if you're ready for that. May God bless you and keep you. And Advent starts this coming week. There's an ornament making happen on Saturday and we're eating together on, on Sunday. Have a great week. God bless you.